Welcome to Ride With Us. Ride With Us. Presented by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, a group of super fans with a mission to appreciate, promote, and preserve roller coasters around the globe. Around the globe. It's time to keep your hands and feet inside the podcast at all times. Here's your hosts, Clint Novak and Chris Roberry. Hey there, everybody in Coaster World. Welcome to the Ace Ride With Us podcast. My name is Chris Roberry. I'm Jessica Gardner. And John Davidson. And we are thrilled to have you here as we record this podcast right before Coaster Con 44 at Cedar Point and Kennywood. The hype is real, you guys. It's real this year. It's real. Oh, it's always real. But this I mean, time, it's always real every year. But it's like, finally this, here. This year, it's really real. Yeah, I think everyone's just pumped and excited that, oh my gosh, it's finally Coaster Con season. Yeah, and you, Cedar Point. Everybody's always pumped to go to Cedar Point. Are you pumped, John? I am. I am. Unfortunately, I can't go to Coaster Con, but I will be going to Cedar Point just a few weeks after. So I'm going to miss all the excitement, but I'll follow it up with, you know, still getting on all the coasters. See, that's the way to do it, though. If you can't go to Coaster Con, at least get the coasters in from Con. It's not quite coaster con because you can't get the full coaster con experience, but at least you get a little taste of it, right? Yeah, no ERT, which is bad. Oh, it's all right. You'll be just fine. So stay away from the Mayflies. You'll be okay. Yeah, that's a, a thing, folks, that uh, the Mayflies at Cedar Point means that the lake is very healthy, but it also means that, uh, well, you just keep your mouth shut when you sit in the front row of their big coasters. <laughs> Good, great advice. It's a hot tip right there. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely a hot tip. We'll also get to learn a little bit about Cedar Point and its Blue Streak roller coaster with our friend Bryant Yeager with his history segment. And we'll also get to sit down with Irvine Andre Engineering's and Irvine and Brian Andre. And if you've ever wondered, how does a ride think? Well, it needs a code, right? And it needs a computer. So these are the folks that bring your favorite rides to life. And they had a lot to talk about, let me tell you. But now I think it's time for the Ace Event Rundown. It is peak coaster riding season. So let's dive right into what Ace Events are happening this July. Start off Independence Day weekend right with Rip Roar and Rampage at Alabama Adventure on Saturday, July 2nd. You'll have two events to choose from on July 9th with Ace Summer Cooldown at Island H2O Live in Kissimmee, Florida or an informal meetup at King's Dominion, hosted by Ace Mid-Atlantic. On July 16th, Ace goes wild at the Columbus Zoo in Ohio, while Ace plays at Lake Compounds in Connecticut. Ready for some pizza and coasters, bro? Join Ace Pacific Southwest on Sunday, July 17th, for Ace's incredible crazy 80s pizza party at John's Incredible Pizza in Carson, California. It'll be totally rad. On July 23rd, have a super time with Ace at Six Flags New England. Fly with the Phoenix at Knobles Amusement Resort or get lost at the newly opened Lost Island Theme Park in Iowa. On July 24th, gather for an informal meetup at Lakemont Park in Altoona, Pennsylvania to celebrate Gary Baker Memorial Day. That next weekend, bring out your inner Poe with Quoth the Raven. Ride some more at Holiday World in Indiana. Or you could head to the beach for Ocean Fest on the Maryland shore. Or you could head inland for Coasters on Rye at Rye Playland in New York. To close out the month, you can storm the kingdom in Louisville. That's Kentucky Kingdom, of course, 
on Sunday, July 31st. You can also pick up the second half of Ocean Fest on the Maryland shore or enjoy Ace Day at Legoland in Goshen, New York. Whew, that's a lot of events. For a complete up-to-date listing, of course, visit aceonline.org. Also, one of the exciting things about CoasterCon is Ace has an opportunity to present landmark coaster plaques. So if you haven't heard yet, Cedar Point will be presented for Blue Streak. So let's tune in to Brian Yeager to hear the history of Blue Streak. This is Bryant with the Ace South Central Region taking you on another trip through time as we look at another piece of historical significance in the amusement industry. One of Ace's newest roller coaster landmarks, Blue Streak, opened at Cedar Point on May 23, 1964. Though Cedar Point is a sprawling theme park with some of the world's most well-known coasters today, this wasn't always the case. Blue Streak was important to the amusement industry in a multitude of ways, including the rejuvenation it fostered within the park. Cedar Point originally opened in 1870 and is considered the second oldest operating amusement park in the United States behind Lake Compounds. When the park first opened, it was a popular vacation destination with a ferry service, public bathing beach, and small dance halls. The park's first actual amusement attraction didn't come until 1890. This water toboggan ride consisted of a ramp and launched riders into Lake Erie. This attraction even predates electricity being available at the property. In 1891, Cedar Point would see their first roller coaster. Called Switchback Railway, the coaster stood 25 feet tall and reached a top speed of 10 miles per hour. The coaster was designed with two identical tracks side by side, one for the ride down and the other for the train to be hauled back to the top by a ride attendant. 1902 brought along the park's second roller coaster, the figure eight roller toboggan. It would eventually be moved several years later and be renamed the racer. The next big property investment would be Hotel Breakers, which opened in 1905 as one of the largest hotels in the Midwest. Though the main focus was to be on hotels, restaurants, and exhibits, Cedar Point would add the Dip the Dips Scenic Railway roller coaster in 1908 and Leap the Dips in 1912. The next roller coaster added would be the Cyclone in 1929. The Great Depression would hit, which forced a halt to expansion and growth in the 1930s. By the end of World War II, Cedar Point was facing its fair share of struggles. The Cyclone was in great need of refurbishment along with several other structures throughout the property. Ultimately, the Cyclone was removed in 1951 due to its poor condition, leaving a big gap in the attraction offerings at the park. With its removal, other smaller rides, such as Lupa Plane, were added. 1964 saw the addition of the Blue Streak, which was the park's first new roller coaster in over a decade. Philadelphia Toboggan Company was hired to build the new roller coaster under the direction of John C. Allen and Frank Hoover. 
Featuring a classic out-and-back design, the ride stands 78 feet tall with a 72-foot first drop. Reaching speeds of up to 40 miles per hour, Blue Streak also features a track length of 2,558 feet. Blue Streak now stands as the park's oldest operating roller coaster and was a huge success and fan favorite. Today, Blue Streak is still loved by many and it consistently ranks in the top 50 for wooden roller coasters. Blue Streak was the success that Cedar Point needed to spring a rebirth of roller coasters for the park. After its success, Cedar Point saw the additions of the Cedar Creek Mine Ride in 1969, Corkscrew in 1976, Gemini in 1978, and Wilderness Run in 1979. From the late 1980s into the 2010s, Cedar Point would go on to add several record-breaking coasters, including the likes of Magnum XL 200 and Mean Streak. Today, Cedar Point is home to 16 roller coasters, including the beloved classic Blue Streak. With so many historic and iconic buildings and attractions along the peninsula, it is only fitting that Blue Streak get the credit it deserves for its impact on the Cedar Point landscape, which would ultimately lead to the development of high-thrill amusement parks across the country. That was a really great segment. I learned so much about Blue Streak right there, and I cannot wait to hear more from Bryant. But I want to know, what is this month's interview? You know, that's funny you should ask. I had an opportunity to sit down with two good friends of mine, Irvine Andre Engineering's and Irvine and Brian Andre, hence Irvine Andre Engineering. Oh. They're the folks that create the brains behind roller coasters. So you know that computers control everything, right? And that includes rides. So they, as they say, control the thrills. And let me tell you, they had a whole bunch to talk about. It was really a lot of fun. Check it out. You know, it's really exciting to be able to learn about things from new people, but it's also great to catch up with old friends as well, especially in this interview segment. And this is definitely the latter. Anne Irvine Andre, Brian Andre of Irvine Andre Engineering. How are you both doing this evening? We are doing pretty good. Yeah. Busy, but okay. good. About to say, this is kind of the busiest time of the year for you all. So for those who may not necessarily know, can you give us a brief uh, synopsis of what is Irvine Andre Engineering and what do you all do in the industry? The best way to put it is that we bring attractions to life. You know, it's, it's kind of a hard one to describe to people because you don't automatically know what, well, I do roller coaster controls. What's that? The easiest way to say it is somebody else designs it, builds it. They look at us and go, what do we do? And we bring it to life. And most of the time, the manufacturers really don't know how to bring it to life. So we come in as problem solvers and basically like kind of, it's almost really like bringing this, this living thing to life. <laughs> It really is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's the electrical system. It's the brains. I mean, that's the part that we're really doing. And, you know, you think about it kind of from the same side as a human body. Uh, you know, you've got your nervous system. You've got your brain, you know, all that kind of sending electrical signals to the muscles, everything else. That's the part that we're filling in. 
but we're big time coaster nerds. So we tend to really exaggerate this too, <laughs> because we really love it. I mean, we could just say, oh, well, we do, you know, controls for rides or whatever, but to us, it's a lot more than that. I mean, this is really a personal job for us. I've been in East since 1994. You've been in at least as long. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't really know any of the other lights and coaster nerd. So <laughs> this is kind of like my primary identity. So really, it, for us, it's a truly personal, big deal thing. Even though for some, it honestly might be like, oh, big deal. It's just working with controls. Like, no, it's not just that to us. Certainly. And I think something that a lot of us take for granted is the fact that these rides do need some sort of system to tell them what to do and to keep people yeah. safe. And you just jump on it assuming, oh, it's just going to run. You don't think that there's this huge amount of work that goes in to figuring out where do some of these sensors go? How mm -hmm. do you place them? How do you speed the lift up? Should you speed up certain sections? Should you slow certain sections down? It's a whole mess of different calculations and different what-if scenarios. Yeah. How do you take all of that and make it a more enjoyable ride experience for, say, for example, uh, an older ride that yeah. maybe you're retrofitting as opposed to yeah. installing a new one? You know, I'll say first off to toot the horn of our team, that the number one thing is to have an awesome team on board that loves what they do, is really into it, and cares. And that's really what we have. Because when it comes to retrofitting an old ride, there's got to be a level of respect there for what the ride is, the history of the ride, your own experience with it, if it's something that you grew up riding or you still ride a lot. Um, and for our team, we take all these things very seriously. You know, we get a classic ride such as Beast that we have this year. And it's not just a, okay, here we go, guys. Let's go do this thing and get out. We're thinking about all the history that's gone through that ride, what it was like before, what it's like now. What can we do to make it more like the original ride was when it opened, if that's what people really loved within the safety parameters we need to meet? It, it really, for me at least, it comes down to having an awesome team. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Uh, <laughs> we, we really kind of look at it from the side of an enthusiast. Mm -hmm. You know, how, if I was riding this ride, how would I want it to work? Mm -hmm. You know, what what features, you know, smooth braking, everything like that, what I kind of look for to enhance the experience, you know, and we also look at from the operations side, you know, these, these poor men and women are working six yeah. days a week, you know, and <laughs> Big time. Uh, hot conditions, everything else like that. Uh, we want to make it as easy as possible on them. So you really got to think of it from like three different sides from the side of an enthusiast, from the side of an operator, and from the side of maintenance. And you know, you're you're wanting to check as many boxes for all three of those sides that you can. There's something like uh, Racer 76 too. Yeah, Racer 76 was a really interesting, fun project because we got a chance to bring out our uh racing dueling code again and uh create a, a true racer again where we even them up going up on the lift. And that, again, we made it as easy as possible on operations. They can dispatch the trains within almost a minute of each other, and they'll still match up on the lift. And uh, from that side, then you've got the rider experience where you're racing out and back, the two trains almost even the entire way. 
I, it's visually, it's amazing. And from on board, I think it's a really cool experience. Yeah, this is something that I think a lot of folks initially learned about, but maybe those who are new to the fandom may not necessarily know, is that, uh, Brian, you actually were able to work on a, quite a legendary ride back in the day, Dueling Dragons at Islands of Adventure. Oh, boy. And, <laughs> you, you know, it, the ride, Rest in Pieces, uh, is no longer around, but you were able to take, in quite honestly, the soul of that ride, which was being able to duel and reapply it and modify that programming so that it could do something somewhat similar on Racer 75 at King's Dominion. And it has been received with universal acclaim. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to do any of that, honestly, but it was something extra, wasn't it? It just, that just kind of comes naturally to you guys. Well, yeah, that's the enthusiast side. I mean, that's where you got to love what you're doing. And, you know, coasters, amusement parks, that's been our thing. So when it came to Racer, I was excited. I, you know, it, it was one that you didn't have to ask me. <laughs> I was de bound and determined I'm going to set this up to be a true racer again, you know, really do what I can add thrills to it. And, uh, you know, things like that are labor and love. I mean, we had a similar example of that on uh, Twisted uh, Mystic Timbers. We got a lot of timbers. There's a lot of timbers. Out there. Yes. There's a lot of runs. There's a lot of lightnings. There's a lot of timbers. But on Mystic Timbers, too, yeah. yes. Um, a great example of that was, and this was totally organic, but coming up with changing the lift speeds to match the audio on the lift. Uh, that was just one that we were looking at. Uh, we were there with the uh, theming designers uh, on a, one of our late night commissionings. All of us. Awesome yeah, people. Yeah, all of us. I should mention them, of course. They're they're great guys to work with, well, men and women to work with. And uh, we were working the one night, and it was a matter of, hmm, you know, this audio isn't coming across clear with the lift just full speed. And, you know, that was bothering us. It's like, okay, what can we do? And I kind of came up with the idea of, hey, guys, you know, if we slow down the lift, you can hear the audio a lot better. And that was something we experimented with. But of course, we wanted to also hit full speeds when we're going over the top and other sections. So I was able to kind of space it out. So it slowed down and sped up with the audio. And I think enhanced the experience again. You know, it, it's like... It made it like it was something more organic in a sense. It wasn't just a machine. It was reacting to what was going on in the rest of the ride. Yeah. And that's that's part of bringing it to life for us is... Yeah, helping to bring out his personality. I just realized that I said the name of Racer wrong. And <laughs> you can blame me for that one. Yeah. Because it's 75, not 76. <laughs> so here's here's a little secret. One number off. Well, here's no, here's a little secret. I totally blame myself because I have obsession with the bicentennial from 1976. I really hope somebody else listening also feels like that because I feel like I'm the only person. I love reading about it like. That's one of the reasons that East can be so interesting to me because it really ties into that. So whenever I look at rides from that era, just 1976 pops up in my head. They have a collection of bicentennial stuff. It's just, I don't know. That's just one of my things. <laughs> well, let's go into that a little bit more, though. So it's not just thrill-seeking at parks that you all like to do. Uh, what are some other things that you do on your time off 
of course, it's a little less time off just because there's so yeah. many other different projects that are going on. But what are some things that you do outside of the industry that might be interesting? Well, for sure, the big thing we do in the industry is we're at, to your point, at least once a week. So that's like, that's the must. Um, yes, how we'd spend our time off going yeah. right back to a park. Yeah, but our, our big thing is horses. Um, I've been a rider since I was a kid. And yes, my horse is named Top Thrill. And you can call him Thrilly. <laughs> because he is my top thrill. Um, and horses are really something that keep me sane. I mean, honestly, it's not even a joke. Like I tell students this all the time that if you're gonna work in this industry, you need to have something other than this industry <laughs> because you can't do coasters and parks and everything 24 seven. It's like, especially if it's a, if you went into it loving it, so it's not just a job to you, if it's your hobby and your job, you really need something else to distract. And I do jumping with horses. And let me tell you, you got to focus on not getting hurt <laughs> quite a bit. We kind of fall off professionally in a sense. You have to get used to it. Um, and it just keeps my mind so occupied with what's in front of me and staying safe and directing my horse that I don't have time to think about everything else going on. And it's really too if you own a business in the industry on top of being a fan, you got to have some sort of break. You really do. Um, so that's, that's my number one thing. I would say Brian would call it his. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. I would say that's, that's my number one outside of uh, the amusement industry. My horse's name is Magnus. He's a big weenie, <laughs> but um uh, Yes. We share the same personality, so I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> but uh, he he is definitely some true stress relief for me. Mm -hmm. um, you get out there and you're separated from what you're normally doing. You're having to pay attention, like Dan said. Um, you know, when you realize you're dealing with a 1,600-pound creature that... With a uh, mind of its own. Yeah, has a mind of a two-year-old. Yes, really, that too. <laughs> that... Uh, Yes, it, it, it definitely kind of requires some different focus. But we also love hockey. We have season tickets to the Red Wings. Sorry for anybody who hates the Red Wings, but... Nobody's <laughs> perfect. How, it's okay. <laughs> that's how it goes. I grew up watching the Wings. Um, Brian grew up a hockey fan, too. And we're not that far from Little Caesar Arena. So we're there all the time. And that's another huge stress relief because you show up and you just get to yell your head off. You know, whether you're mad at what's coming down, whether you're excited, and I'll give them credit that, okay, the Wings have not done that well <laughs> in the last couple of years, I will admit that, but the games are actually super interesting, um, and they're pretty funny, too, because of just the effort they put in to entertain the crowd, and even when things are doing really bad on the ice, it's pretty entertaining just to be there. <laughs> I give them a lot of credit. They have great employees there, too. Um, it would be awesome if whatever they're doing to train the employees there, we could bring to the industry because they are really amazing employees. So that's a big help. The other thing too is just you got to keep up with the fitness in this job. That too. You know, people don't <laughs> think about it, but you know, you get on site, you're climbing lift hills. Oftentimes, steps don't even exist, so you're yeah. up and down ladders. You know, you're you're just doing a lot of moving around sometimes helping pull cable or something like that. Uh, it, it does require a physical aspect to it. So, you know, I, I do other things like uh, I do go biking 
fairly regularly. You got sucked into the pickleball. Yes, trend. I got sucked into pickleball. So that's <laughs> that's my latest thing. Um, I love Pilates. That's yeah. my big thing. So yeah, uh, it's it's one of those things that people don't think about, but you definitely have to maintain at least a certain level of fitness in this challenge. The one other thing about me I can say is I'm interested in a lot of things. Um, it's I couldn't even list them all. So, a lot. You wouldn't believe her collections. Yeah, it's there's everything from stuff I collect to just stuff I read about. And I'm always bothering him with like, you'll never believe what I'm reading about. And he won't even try to guess because it's going to be something so out there, ridiculous. And I'm a huge history fan. So I'm always reading about historical events and disasters and weather events. We're storm spotters at the National Weather Service. So that's another big thing of ours. It's like, we got a lot of weird random things we're into. So you can always run things by me if you're interested in things. Hey, are you interested in? And I probably will at least know something about it. Yes, just <laughs> you might be a little morsel, but you definitely have at a, least a little bit of knowledge about it. A tiny bit of knowledge. So that and I love to talk to people. So if you want to talk, go ahead and try. I'll probably at least know about it. <laughs> yeah, I will say of all the companies that are out there on social media, one of the coolest things about IOE is that they are always out there. They're always talking things up and they're always looking to help others, especially students yeah. or young professionals. In fact, you actually created an entire group specifically for young professionals looking to get into the industry. For yeah. some of our listeners who are thinking about that in, oh, as a career or in high school right now or just starting college, tell them a little bit about that program. Yeah, it's called IOE Rising. And it's a Facebook group. I will completely admit that the last two years really sidetracked me personally on getting a lot of that done. It's kind of one of my things to be really um, open with the students about having PTSD. Um, it's a very difficult mental illness. And fortunately, I'll, by me being open, a lot more students have come to me and said they too are suffering with PTSD, OCD, panic disorder, whatever. Um, and I'm very open about that. So the last two years were very rough for me. I did not have the capacity to deal with all the stuff that was going on in our industry and the changes with the business and keeping afloat, plus our student group. It was just, it was a lot. Um, so I'm restarting that this summer. If students want to join me, they can message me on Facebook. So what IOE Rising is, is a group for everybody to get together. They can be anybody from high school age, college age, you're just out of college, you just started the industry to get together and we start talking and it'll be really sometimes very blunt, open talking because I want students to be prepared. I'll, we'll tell them stories. We'll post exclusive pictures. Um, I actually have a member of RMC that's going to join our group as kind of like a, I could say a moderator, but kind of like a a mascot <laughs> i'm gonna say <laughs> that'd be one way to describe it. yeah yeah he's a really good friend of ours um we've known him since he was literally a you know freshman in college and now he's in the industry in his dream job so he's going to kind of join as a, a another little addition to the group to give more perspective for students um and the big one to me is we will have a space that's exclusive to young people you know you have to to go through a process to join you have to let us know what your age is so we know it's not somebody or it's going to come in and yeah, I'm a big expert. Look at me, blah, blah, blah. We don't want any of that. You know, if you're in, you still need to be humble. <laughs> you can't be, look at me. I'm a big shot. Um, 
and we can come in and talk about the ups and downs and the pluses and minuses of being in this industry. And believe me, there are plenty of minuses. If you're not prepared, that's the big one to me. And it's just, students really need to understand that as much as what we do is a ton of fun, especially if you're a coaster person, it's a very difficult industry to be a part of. Deadlines are immovable. People are often under a ton of pressure. So there's a lot of stress coming from up top and it filters down through the rest of the group. There's a lot of moments where you just go, oh my God, how did I get into this? <laughs> because it's just, it's a lot. It's very high stress. If you're prepared for that, if you're, you're mentally ready for that, then great. If you're not, you might come into it and immediately feel overwhelmed. I mean, especially with what we do, the travel, the hours, the commitment, you know, even the stress of this year, there's just no parts available. It, the supply chain is just, there is no supply chain. It's just a complete mess. Every year there is some sort of challenge. Yeah. And the last couple of years, the supply chain has become our latest challenge. Yeah. So, I mean, being honest with students in an environment like that, um, I think is really important. And then also, you know, we can share what we hear about employment opportunities, internship opportunities. We actually have the ear of a number of industry companies that will come to us and say, do you know any students that are looking for a job? Do you know anybody that just graduated looking for a job? And we've had a number of success stories with that, which is super awesome. You know, it's the coolest thing to see a student come to us in high school and then six or seven years later, they're working with us. <laughs> that is the coolest thing in the world. We absolutely love it. So, um, and we'll evolve the group as time goes on too. So you're welcome to come talk to us and join the group. So just message us on Facebook about that. By all means, everyone, take them up on this opportunity. <laughs> I would know, because I think I'm graduate number 001 <laughs> when it comes to this sort of thing. Because I met yeah. Ann and Brian back in 2013 mm -hmm. uh, at California's Great America when Gold Striker had just opened up and they had done the controls for it and it was a phenomenal ride, still is. And totally we awesome. just kept talking from then on and it's been uh, a hell of a ride to say the least. Yes, it has. <laughs> You've seen the ups and downs yourself. I've been uh, a part of them. It's been very yes. <laughs> uh, interesting at moments to say the least, but I will yeah. say, the all of that trial and tribulation that you go through to get into the industry makes it worth it once you're inside because Agreed. the reward of being able to stand outside of an exit of a ride that you maybe had just a small little part in working on and yeah. yet you see those smiles of everybody coming off of it yeah absolutely oh, totally. makes it worth it absolutely makes all the stresses go away oh yeah. yes i've we've done it this is the this is it yeah, I mean, that's that for me is the number one. Um, this is actually our 10 year anniversary this year, which is super awesome for small business. That is about the hardest goal to get to. We'll never take that for granted. You know, you constantly have to work every year, especially with an industry like this where jobs are not consistent. We had a record year this year after almost going under in 2020, like pretty much everybody else in the industry. Mm -hmm. And now to bounce back with a record year was absolutely nuts. Um, so for me, when I go to Cedar Point and I look around and I go, you know, I was a teenager, freshman in high school, telling my dad, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. 
and he was supportive about it, but I was just a nobody kid wandering around going, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And it's kind of like the ghost of me is still there. And there are even certain places in the park where it's, it's like, it's kind of like, um, it's like a movie where you can kind of see the ghost of the other person there and you can reach out and you can't touch them, but you can get close enough to see them. And that's how I feel about going there. And it's like, if young me could see what ended up happening out of that, it would be absolutely insane. And for me, sometimes just going there and being surrounded by that feeling of, wow, I'm actually a part of this, you know, especially after we did Steel Vengeance, that's me. And for, my, for me, I'm sure it's different for everybody else in our group, but for me, that's the number one reward. We've touched on it a little bit, so I want to go into it a bit more in depth. When you're on a job site, what makes it so stressful? You talked about like late nights. Mm -hmm. Why are you there usually at night? You know, give us a little bit of insight into what makes it so tough when you're on site and maybe why you like to do things a bit later at night. Okay. Well, um, there's plenty of things that can make it stressful, first off. Um, the, the first thing is everything is being built really in a sense for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the, the track has never been put together before, or if it's a wooden coaster, it's literally being built on site. Um, you know, the cars are coming off new. They're not coming off of a, an existing ride or anything else like that. So the trains are completely new. Our system has been all wired up. But really, you know, we've just tested it out. You know, we start out by testing kind of all the equipment to see if it's working. But even that, you know, you'll find, you know, little things here and there that you have to fix or change or whatever else. And with all these new things, the only problem is you've got that opening date that's <laughs> not changing. Yeah, the sword is over your head. So when you're sitting there looking at it, you're going, okay. You know, whatever happens between now and let's say three weeks from now, we got to get this going at the end of three weeks. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I'm just mentioning three weeks. Some projects will take more, some will take less. But uh, just as an example of a three week one, you know, you've got all the testing you have to do. The ride manufacturer has their own testing to do, the park has their requirements to do. Um, you're throwing all this stuff together. You have to do training in that time. You have to make sure everyone's comfortable with the ride. That's a lot of stuff that we have to somehow squeeze into things. Invariably, there's something that isn't quite right. It can be dead parts right under the box. You know, you, you have a brand new expensive piece of equipment, plug it in, completely dead. Yeah, there's a lot of overnight <laughs> shipping that happens. Yes. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's all sorts of little things you just kind of come to expect and have stories with that one too. Um, and then plus, one of the things I say to students is, I'm truly amazed at what we all get done in really kind of a short amount of time. That when you're behind the scenes at a ride and you look at all the different groups that are involved, and everything is counting on this one date. It isn't like you can go, well, we'll open another day or whatever. It's like, no, you know, May 10th or bust. And I'm amazed that we can get it all done. And we do, you know, looking around at our clients, looking around at all the sub vendors that go into it, looking at what we have to do. It's a lot. 
it's amazing how much effort goes into making these rides. It really, truly is. And the biggest thing is how many of them right out of the bat were perfect. You know, you've got something gigantic like Steel Vengeance and you run it for the very first time. It's perfect. There's no, <laughs> there's no, oh my God, this isn't working. I mean, that it goes right on through the course, comes ripping in, whatever. And everybody looks and starts cheering and you're just like, wow, you know, we pulled this together. But that being said, even how well we all do this, every time going into this, it's stressful. And that's another thing to tell students is get used to that stress. It will pass. It will end. Brian likes to talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. But there is a ton of stress getting ready for this day. And, um, you know, we talked about why do we end up working in the evenings or late night? Um, Actually, in some sense, to take some stress off. Uh, through the day, you have a lot of uh, workers around the track. Uh, there's still a good amount of uh, manufacturing work that is happening, bolts being tightened, you know, examinations being done after the previous day's running. And then you even have things like painters, landscapers, because we're not the only people that have a job to do that. Right. You know, there's a ton of different people. So the easiest thing for us to do is really wait for everyone to go home because that way we know we don't no have one's to, there. yeah, we don't we have, have to worry, worry about, about sleeping on the track. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it's kind of a safer approach for us to do things that way, but, uh, Plus it's for the empire side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's also interesting to find yourself in a park at uh, one in the morning, kind of by yourself, uh, running a ride. <laughs> a little bit on the spooky side, but uh, that yeah. can be pretty cool. Yeah, when when it's two or three in the morning and you take a bathroom break and you walk in and the hair dry- or the hand dryer starts going off by itself and the water starts turning on and off by itself and you're just looking around going okay who else is here it's not just us and that is a true story too well if you are really interested by all this and you're an ace member be sure to check out the bonus content section because we are not even close to being done talking with ann and brian (laughs) about all the cool stories that they've had on site so check it out if you're an ace member if not you know join and then you can get all this exclusive bonus content absolutely free with your membership so as we sort of wrap up this part here ann and brian uh real quick can you tell us a ride that is no longer around that you wish you could bring back to life Oh, that's a good question. Well, I'll start out with mine. Go ahead. I actually have two that I'll mention. One is pretty obvious, which is Dueling Dragons. Uh, I, I loved working on that ride. It was a very special event. Uh, you know, there, there was just so much that we put into it. And seeing that whole park growing from the ground up, uh, I, I really can't describe adequately what it feels like to see a park being born. Mm-hmm. But uh, the second one for me, uh, to reach into my past pretty far, the uh, Little Dipper at Kennywood, which was a wooden coaster back in the day, was one of my earliest memories of absolutely loving a roller coaster. Um, you know, it was just this great little children's coaster back by where the train is now. Uh I couldn't even tell you exactly the placement of everything because heck I was pretty young at the time, but, uh, that 
ride really was kind of my introduction to roller coasters. That and Jackrabbit. And to be honest, Jackrabbit was pretty terrifying as a little kid. <laughs> but Little Dipper, that was just pure fun. And I miss it. And? You know, that's a really good question because a lot of my stuff is still around that I grew up with. And thinking back into history, there's there's so many things. I mean, honestly, I got to say one of the things I would kill to be able to get in a TARDIS and go back and visit was Luna Park back in the day at Coney. Like that, I always talk about this one, but there is an American Experience episode about Coney Island. And that was back in the early 90s. And I always tell students, please watch this because that really was more so than I look back on it than I realized at the time. That was kind of the turning point for me when I realized that parks and coasters weren't just kind of like a random interest, but there was something that really spoke to me. There was something about that show that just got to me. And here I am, I think it was 11 when it came out and I was crying watching this thing. I mean, I just, it's hard to explain and I really suggest folks watch it. Um, but Luna Park was just, it's just amazing. Like I look at old videos and photos of it and there are videos of it which is just amazing to watch the amount of light bulbs. And I just think of here you are, you know, living at the turn of the century and you walk in this park and you know, they'd advertise a million light bulbs. And that in itself was huge. People talked about how far out to see you could see Coney Island because of the lights. And we may now go, well, big deal, you know, it's lit up. And now, you know, back then it was like, look at this amazing marvel of technology. And I just, I wish I could just experience that for five minutes to walk in the middle of that and all of the weird and random rides they had. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's hard to even imagine. But man, that is the number one thing. That in Dreamland, if I could go back in time and just visit for 10 to 15 minutes, I would do it in a heartbeat. If you want to talk about modern stuff, I miss Wildcat at Cedar Point. I really do. <laughs> I really do. Um, it was one of these rides that just kind of filled a middle point that I think was good when you're growing up there. You know, like nowadays, I, I have friends, kids, I'm watching grow through the ranks of coasters there. And Iron Dragon is kind of like one of the big kid rides now. It was different than when I was a kid. But for me, Wildcat was like the middle ground of that. And it was scary as a kid. <laughs> like, oh, my God. The drops on that thing, for anybody that remembers, they weren't just little drops. I mean, you got some serious airtime. And airtime at seven is different than airtime at 40, where you're, <laughs> where you're getting launched. And even just that quick, you know, snap in the station when you come to a stop, it definitely, ooh, it got you warmed up for the bigger stuff. And there was a big jump to go from there to like Gemini, which was, you know, terrifying when you're a kid, but that was kind of that middle ground. And it was also kind of a good warm up coaster. If you were a kid that maybe didn't want to go on Gemini yet, <laughs> but you could get on Wildcat and get kind of your fear out of your system and then move on to the bigger stuff. So, man, if there's anything I could bring back, I would bring back a modern version of it. You know, make it a little bigger, you know, maybe add some little things to it, but I would love to see that come back. It definitely filled a space that I think was important there. You know, those classic Schwarzkopf coasters, there's just yeah. something <laughs> about them that just tugs at your heartstrings. Yeah. They, how many people could say that that was their first 
you know, big coaster was a Schwarzkopf and it got them hooked. Not yeah. sure what it was about them, but there's just something special. And man, it's, uh, it's kind of fun to see that there's so many other people that share that sentiment. So, yeah, it was something that you knew was smaller, but you'd have kind of an irrational fear over it because you knew that the size did not match the experience. <laughs> and I can still picture being a little kid going off that first drop and it was a drop. I mean, you were, oh man, grabbing your stomach. Like, am I going to come out of this thing? But you know, you're a little kid and that's, you know, something that's a hundred feet tall is just gigantic as a little kid. But like I said, it got everything out of your system. The fear of waiting in line of what's this going to be like. And then the experience, it was over quick. It was still smaller. And then you could get it. Okay, we're done. Let's go to the big stuff. At least for me, I will fully admit that I went through a phase as a kid where I was deathly afraid. Like, <laughs> I don't even know where it came from. My very first coaster at a big girl coaster was Avalanche Run. And I was terrified in that line and then thought it was great went on Gemini thought it was great thought everything was fine and then a year or two later it switched and everything scared me and I, <laughs> I told stuff that I'd even been on scared me and it's funny how many people share that experience of not being afraid and getting scared again so I went through that phase myself and <laughs> when you're growing up in a place that has a lot of big rides, it's kind of like going through the gauntlet of like not the greatest place to be afraid of, of rides. So something like Wildcat was a good place to go. Okay. I can do this. <laughs> I made it through that. You usually had a long line. So you had a lot of time to think about your fear and you just kind of, okay, we're good. Moving on to the big, the big kid stuff. You know, I always love speaking with you guys because it is always an adventure. I always learn something new. <laughs> And more importantly, it's just great to be able to talk to folks who care so much about the experience they provide for guests, yeah. but also the service that they provide to the parks. Uh, it's yeah. a rare combination, but it's a great one to have in this industry. So Anne Irvine Andre, Brian Andre with Irvine Andre Engineering, thank you so much for hanging out with us this month Thanks on the Ace Rider Podcast. Thanks for having us on. Oh yeah, thanks for having we us. We love the opportunity, we really do. I had so much fun talking with these two. It is an absolute delight. If you haven't had a chance to check them out, find them on Facebook. They are so much fun and they're really open and want to bring more people into the industry. So much so that we had extra content that we couldn't fit in this interview. So we've uploaded it as bonus content. Where do we find that? Well, let me tell you, all you got to do is jump onto aceonline.org and log into the member portal and then look for the podcast bonus segment section. And that's where you can download it there. And remember, that is exclusive to ACE members. And trust us, you do not want to miss the bonus content because Ann and Brian go into a real deep dive about rides and why they enjoy them so much. It is a cannot miss. Well, everybody, it has been an absolute thrill, and pardon the pun, to be able to host this podcast alongside my friend Clint Novak for almost three years now. And it is time, unfortunately, for me to pass the torch on to John and Jessica. But before I do, had a little something special from Clint that he wanted to send along as a thank you as well. 
What is going on, my ace friends? It's Clint Novak here, the uh, the uh, co-host of the uh, Ace Podcast. Uh, uh, you know, it's been very difficult for me and Chris to line up recording times. Life just gets in the way, I guess. Uh, I've been busy running Funland of Fredericksburg here, uh, but I did want to pop in and say, first of all, uh, congratulations to Jessica and John uh, for being selected as the uh, upcoming hosts uh, here on the Ace Podcast, and also wanted to say thank you to all you guys uh, for listening to all of the conversations that me and Chris have had over the last few years. And uh, it, it's it's so great that uh, when I'm out at the park or on the midway, uh, I run into you guys and, you know, you never know what kind of impact you're having when you're recording these, you know, just on Skype uh, in an office. But uh, when I hit the midway and you guys come up and say how much you appreciate and listen to the podcast, it makes it all worthwhile. So thank you guys so much for listening over the next couple of years. And I hope you enjoy the direction the podcast goes next. So again, congratulations to Jessica and John and can't wait to listen to ride this one in the future. Bye, guys. Wow, three years. Man, Jessica, this is going to be some tough shoes to fill. Definitely. Clint and Chris, you two have done an absolutely phenomenal job. It's such an honor to be able to take over this position. And I'm really excited about what's next for you and for Clint and for me and John. You know, I have a snickering suspicion that and hope that eventually we do get to come back onto the podcast as oh, guests. I think you'll be back. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> that's going to be a must do. Well, again, thank you all for your kind words. Uh, it really does mean a lot. And for everyone else who's visited us in a park or have seen us and said, hey, we really love the podcast. Keep up the great work. It means the world and it keeps us carrying on. You know, it's you hear us on the podcast, but there's a lot of other folks behind the scenes, Elizabeth Bryant, uh, you know, uh, Ben as well. And of course, John and, and Jessica as well, who have really kept this thing going and really made it sound as good as it has. So thank you all to everyone who's been listening as well. It, it's, it's phenomenal. I, I can't like, I'm, I'm starting to well up here Aww. a little bit. It's you all are too kind. So thank you again so much for the honor and the, to be able to come on and talk coasters with you all and just give you a bit of entertainment while you're maybe driving to a park or in some cases waiting in a long line. So again, from my heart to everyone else, thank you so much for this opportunity. And I can't wait to see you in a park again real soon. Thank you again to Chris and Clint, and thank you all for listening this month. I hope you all have a great time at CoasterCon. And remember, if you want to tell Chris how amazing these last three years have been, <laughs> you can reach out to us at podcast.aceonline.org. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next month. <laughs>